1: Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah forty, twenty eight to twenty nine. No matter how much I try, I keep forgetting God isn't human. I'll insist on thinking of him in human terms to try to put human attributes on him. I need to stop beating myself up about this, though, because the whole of the New Testament deals with his fully divine and fully human nature. He did walk on the earth and experience our frailties firsthand. Not that he had to. It was we who needed him among us for a long time, for for a short time. I question how anyone can be omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, even omnific. It makes my head spin. I can't wrap my mind around it. However, as I've said before, I don't have to understand something for it to work. And I grapple with the enormity of my God and the smallness of me, like Grasshopper's Isaiah says, and I'm glad. God is all the omnis, end of story." A dear priest friend of mine, Father Ernie, sent me these words from a gifted Baptist Bible teacher as a comment on a correspondence we'd had six months ago, and I was wondering what God was up to in my life. I wonder that all the time. So not only was his message fortuitous, it was apropos too. And I smiled again. God is right here with his little old grasshopper me. Dr. Charles Stanley says... You've got to set your focus on God. He is the one who has all the power. He is the one who loves you unconditionally. He is the one who has made promises he will keep. He is the one who never changes. All the omnis. You've got to have faith. You don't have to understand to believe. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. I have a great show lined up, so I hope you're all comfy for the hour. My guest this week is Barbara Allison, a lifelong kindergartner who believes that although children are only 20% of the population, they are 100% of the future. I hear that. I'll have an excerpt from my book, A Promise, and we'll talk about remodeling, patience, and living in a community and half-term. Settle in with your cup of coffee or tea. I've got a piece of cake this week to keep me pampered. Warm yourself up from the inside out and enjoy a jolly hour with me on this winter wonderland of a day in London. I woke up to snow and a fox on Sunday morning and the snow has lingered all week. I was just like a small child. I had to be outside in it. I'm always surprised at the stealth with which snow falls. We'd been out in it the evening before on our way home from Mass, and the flakes were so tiny. I'd said to the Texan who hates snow walking beside me, isn't it amazing how such tiny flakes can gather together and form a blanket? Not that sticking looked very promising that early on but stick it did during the night and there was about three inches of glistening whiteness on the lawns when I looked out of my window I grabbed my camera went outside in my slippers and snapped photos of the snow looking like royal icing on the tops of the large evergreen bushes we have in the grounds then the fox trotted through the rose bushes and stood staring at me as I took a picture of him I showed my snow shy cowboy and he said the fox was there just now Then, impatient to be out and crunching around it, I bundled up and went out to play. The sludge was already setting in and the trees were dripping like crazy, but there were hundreds of people out on the hills and slopes of my woodland park. Yes, the English were taking the air and tobogganing. Snowmen were being put together on the sidelines. Snowball battles were in full force and dogs were running wild. I walked and gazed and took photos and walked for hours. I sent pictures to my children in Texas. and My oldest commented, it looks like a scene from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And yes, the lanes through the woods did. I traversed steps and pathways that looked and felt different. The snow weighed down the holly trees, so they brushed my head where before I'd hardly even noticed them. I got lost and found many times, but the whole experience was magical and a wonderful start to the Sabbath. Thank you, Lord. Had we been in Texas, we would have worried about driving and getting somewhere. Here, we just enjoyed the miracle that such small flakes made an impressive covering. Billions, perhaps trillions of them. And how beautiful even the most pollarded tree or ugly garden looked. Christ does that at the gates of heaven. He covers us with his unblemishedness. And the father sees us bathed in the light of his son. All our imperfections and gnarledness gone. What a gift. And let's do my book excerpt now, shall we, before we get too bogged down with other things. Plunge us into a Texas summer now that we're good and cold? Taken from my 20th chapter entitled Pets, Pets, and More Pets, this is an account of what earned me the best mum title at my Wildflower Academy. Our oldest son is at college in Santa Fe and my remaining three have established a pecking order that revolves around the blue-eyed brother. Simon volunteered at the animal shelter. After three years of regular service, he'd been put in charge of volunteer orientation every other week. No longer the rookie, he was able to delegate his more menial tasks to those younger and less experienced than he, allowing him to work behind the front desk or visit and handle the reptiles for hours. He wanted to be a herpetologist and was an avid fan of Steve Irwin's in Australia. His dream to go to that continent on the other side of the world was perpetuated by his desire to work at the Australia Zoo under the guidance of Steve and his staff of crocodile hunters. The fact that he'd received a signed photograph from the family and a thank you note for a gift he'd carved and sent to them further embedded this burning desire of his. As a family, we were about to enter the snakeskin shedding phase of our homeschool. This particular year, the staff at the animal shelter threw a party for him, a birthday party for him. I think he was all of maybe 15. We were all invited, as homeschoolers usually are. There's no going anywhere without the entourage. A huge spread had been laid out in the break room and Simon was helping along the finishing touches since he was in the middle of his shift. They asked him to fish out the paper plates from a brown grocery bag and as he reached inside he looked up with a startled expression. He pulled out the contents and we were taken aback too. A sweet little 30-inch ball python smiled winningly at us and heard well you know it didn't snakes aren't exactly warm fuzzy cuddleable creatures who can smile winningly and purr the reptile before me caused a shudder to creep up my spine no oohs and ahs fell from my lips i may have even said "ugh," but i don't remember simon looked at his co-workers and me and grinned oh thanks guys he made me jump a little he held the crystal aloft where did you get it There followed a story which gave me time to regain my composure and cover up the fact I'd been struck speechless. My resulting smile of approval was to win me the best mum of the year award. If you're interested, the snake had been found in a vacated motel room and needed a home. Why it should be relegated to our home was a question I chose not to ask. That my son was overjoyed was not lost on me. The staff should have checked first with me, but I know, obviously, I came across as a trooper and was flattered that my son's depiction of me had been a positive, mum is the greatest. The staff had thought of everything. There were no objections I could place in the path of acceptance. Please of. Have- We have no food or shelter or equipment for this reptile. Perhaps you'd better keep it here, were groundless. They provided Simon with the terrarium, the bedding, the water bowls, and the food in the form of a live white mouse. I wasn't really very keen on having both a snake and... And a white mouse added to my domestic menagerie all in one afternoon. But that's what happens when you're collecting kudos towards upgrading to the best mom in the world. I passed a humanitarian edict that if the mouse survived the night with the snake, it be released. Back to the animal shelter, I hastily amended as neither hubby or I wanted random rodents celebrating their freedom in our house. This was the first of a collection of snakes that would come and live together. Some of them needed separate living quarters. Some of them could live in the same terrarium. A snake alone is very low maintenance. I'd sit in Simon's room and watch the glass enclosure and think, what a boring life. No wheel to run around in, no paw to give, no games of fetch, no tricks to learn, no fur to stroke. Simon gradually added to its habitat to increase interest mainly for the spectator, not the snake. A rock, some wood, a small plant. It became a pleasant space for meditation. The python, now christened Monty, sat in a branch and stared or curled up behind the rock with only the tip of its head visible. Don't try a game of statue with a snake. It will win, belly down. Owning a snake changed how others living outside my crazy walls viewed me. When friends, neighbours or acquaintances heard I harboured a snake, a sense of respect or was it horror and complete disbelief bubbled up. It was actually presumed that I liked them, held them, loved them, petted them and wanted to own more of them so that they could lie still and stare at me together. I was offered a great variety of belly crawlers by desperate families trying to offload their creeping, characterless, boring reptiles. The more exposure I had to snakes, the more I saw of them as primeval. The littlest eyes and forked tongue, the legless torso. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the wild beasts and all the living creatures of the field. On your belly you will crawl, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Genesis three fourteen. Go, God. Looking at these belly sliders from close quarters, I'm glad they're cursed to crawl. I wouldn't like to encounter a six-foot snake eye to eye reared up on its end. Would you? The closest I've come was when I met a wild python, not that ours was tame, high in the branches of a tree in our garden. It gave me quite a fright. There it was, gazing down at me while I hung out my washing. One of the snakes we bought was um, from a show, And he was a little sand python that loved to burrow. We put him in a glass tank with sand and watched him dig himself to the bottom. And we called him Waldo because he was always buried. And every time we entered the room where his terrarium was kept, we'd look over at it and sing Where's Waldo? But Waldo was not a contented little snake, and I'm just going to have to leave it at that for now and um, go on a very short break of about ninety seconds. so come right back.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for self-aid success stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on Tugginet.com. Fertility is an extremely personal subject. Tune in Monday nights at 9, 8 central for the Fertility Forum with infertility psychotherapist and expert Phyllis Martin on toginet.com. This is the show about infertility, gaining support and information. Phyllis will assist you in navigating the disappointments and decisions that often accompany the difficult journey from diagnosis to conception, pregnancy to parenthood. She is passionate about her work and is an expert in the donor egg field, bringing both her personal and professional experience to all she does. Ms. Martin has extensive experience in helping patients cope with infertility, pregnancy loss, adoption, surrogacy, miscarriage, pregnancy termination, and creative family building. She knows what you're going through, and she's here to help. It's the Fertility Forum with your host, Phyllis Martin, Monday nights at 9, 8 Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenney
1: No, our little sand python wasn't happy. He escaped twice. The first time, we found him deep in the pile of the lounge carpet. The second time, we didn't find him at all until years later when he showed up at the bottom of a stone pitcher that was directly below his abode. Waldo must have wiggled out of his tank through a small space left by the cord of his heating pad, thought, I'm free, and then fallen off the side of the trunk where his tank sat into the ceramic water jug below, And looked up at the porcelain sides and thought, "Uh uh-oh, maybe not. Needless to say, by the time we found him, he'd dried out, and now I have Waldo eternally conserved in resin as a paperweight on my desk. There endeth Waldo the snake with the most personality. And... I see that I have my first or my only guest this week, my guest this week, Barbara Allison, who carries the memories of more than a thousand children's school beginnings in her heart. Affectionately known as Mrs. A, Barbara's kindergarten and preschool experience includes inner city, private, big, new and very small old schools, both public and independent. She grew up in a tiny village close to the family farm and graduated from college to teach kindergarten where she's able to play all day with puzzles and blocks, make crafts and build with Lego, shape Play-Doh and read big books. Even now her own children are grown. Barbara has a kindergarten readiness website because although children make up 20% of the population, they are 100% of the future and children who are ready for kindergarten do better and have more chance of finishing school than those who aren't. Barbara wrote 123 kindergarten everything your child needs to learn before kindergarten which is available on Amazon. Thanks so much for having an early morning with me Barbara and welcome to the show.
2: What a wonderful way to start the day. Thank you so very much, Vivian.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. I was wondering, because you had written to me a couple of times with a few French words, whether you'd have a French accent.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can use one, too. And right now, I'm taking on the role of student and learning Spanish.
1: Oh, you are? So are you learning it with your, are you going to teach it to your kindergartners?
2: No, we're hoping to do some traveling, and it certainly helps to know the language where you're going.
1: That's right. It certainly does. In Texas, a lot of us know um, Spanish because we're right on the border there with Mexico. So, uh, yeah, I understand. And apparently it's the second most widely spoken in the world, well, spoken language in the world. So,
2: <laughs> I'm discovering one of the problems, though. Every time I open my mouth to speak Spanish, French comes out. That's
1: right. <laughs> yeah, you probably think, "Oh, I know the word in French, but what is it in Spanish?" So I <laughs> had the exactly. same. You know, when I first came to America, I had the same problem. Except it was all English, but just different words were used for different things, and there were different kind of expressions and different, you know, um, figures of speech and, and and that kind of stuff. So I found it really difficult sometimes when I'd go out and I'd try and make them understand what I wanted.
2: <laughs> there can all be right. a lot of regional variations.
1: Yes, yes. So you're in British Columbia. Yes, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, is that closer to the California? That is it further south? Is it southern Canada or where, whereabouts is that?
2: We're really close to the American border. Okay. And th- okay. There's even some places right, right close to where we are where in order for the um, – People, in, the Americans in their small town, to travel anywhere else, they have to come into Canada and go out before they can get to the rest of the U.S.
1: Oh, okay, okay. And um, are you having um, beautiful Canadian weather at the moment? Well, we say that we're from the wet coast. Oh, okay. So, like Oregon? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you don't you don't get the snow? Do you get snow?
2: Yes, I'm sure you do get some snow. Well. The children think that, unfortunately, we don't get enough.
1: All oh, right. <laughs> I know. You know what? I was I was walking home yesterday because we had snow again yesterday. And I was walking home in the evening. It just looked beautiful coming down and settling on the trees. And I said, you know, when I was a child, I remember being so excited that it was snowing. And I said, I, don't, I have no idea why. Why was I so excited? It's not as if my parents ran out and took me sledding or tobogganing or anything like that. It was just...
2: I just loved the snow. Maybe you have some insights. Well, you know, I think for children, one of the things that they find so intriguing is that the world has changed so very much, mm-hmm. but yet it's still the same. Mm-hmm. And so they can see how this something has changed on the surface, but it hasn't mm-hmm. changed below the surface. So for them, snow is a giant science experiment. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because uh, you know, you can, as I said, I was walking out in, in my normal walks, and all of a sudden, snow changed everything, and so my little landmarks as I walk along were all gone. <laughs> it was all covered in snow, so you know, I kind of got lost and found. So that's very interesting. That's right. That's why children, and it does. It is beautiful. It is beautiful until it starts to starts to melt in little little patches. All right, well, let's talk a little bit. You told me that your book had just gone up on Amazon, so I went on to Amazon, and there it was. I found it, so I've got a link on my, my page to it. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, your book and kindergarten readiness, and then we'll apply it um, to some of my homeschool mums who are listening in. All right? Sounds great. Okay. And so tell me, um, you know, your book has got a, um, the second title of or the subtitle of everything a child needs to learn before kindergarten. And I know that years ago, you sent your child to kindergarten and they didn't have to know how to read um, or, or their letters or their numbers. But now that's changed. So tell, tell me what kinds of things now that they're expected to have learned before they come into kindergarten.
2: Well, you're Right. To some extent, readiness is the school's job, but children who are prepared to learn know what to expect, and they can start right away. They're familiar with routine tasks. They don't need as much preparation as some of the other children, and one of the reasons why early learning is so very important is because so very much learning occurs before children even get to school. Mm -hmm. Those early years are 90% of the brain growth and development occurs before children ever get to school, and that's why it's so Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certainly some of the basics will be covered when children are in kindergarten. But it really helps, I think if children have what I call knowing how to learn. They have built up questions in their minds from turning over rocks with their parents, bending down on the sidewalk to count the ants. They they are expecting that there will be something new. Mm-hmm. And I think that in itself is far more important than some of the basics like numbers or letters, although that certainly does help before children come to school.
1: So, really, um, what we're trying to develop with our, our young children is an inquiring mind, just um, which is natural because children are hardwired to learn. And so, that, that really comes naturally because you see, I mean, a toddler, a, a, even younger than that, first thing they do when they pick something up is put it straight in their mouths. They're constantly, they're wanting to feel it, touch it, look at it, you taste it and, and do everything. So, they've already got that.
2: More than the inquiring mind, I think children have developed some basic strategies. They've learned that information will come through listening. That they will, that they will learn something new just by watching. So when they come to school, they're ready to listen, they're ready to watch. Whereas for the, some of the other children are just kind of lost in a world and there's so much information, they can't Put themselves on the right track to going farther down the path of learning
1: so so why why are those children um, why is that happening to them? Have they not been encouraged? What has happened during those first years um, at home or in a daycare center that has makes them different?
2: Well these are our statistics that that really just knocked my socks off when I heard about them. That children who have been in a family where they have been exposed to books at home have Mm -hmm. built up a bank of 5,000 books by the time they get to school. Mm -hmm. That's a tremendous amount of preparation for reading for those children Mm -hmm. before they get to school compared to those who haven't had that exposure to books. Now, if you think 5,000 books is a big number, children who have been involved in conversations at home, have shared stories, sung songs, have built up a bank of 40 million or more words by the time they get to school. As compared Mm. to about twenty five million for the children who haven't had that same kind of exposure to language. Just those two figures alone can show what a tremendous gap there is between the children who have been exposed to books and exposed to language compared to the ones who haven't had those same opportunities. And
1: I think my my I've got a daughter who works um, in a preschool, and the emphasis is on like lesson plans and and structured things because they, I think they've got to let the parents know that the money they're paying is worthwhile and there's something that they can see for that, and I think. You know, what happened? You're, you're talking about just straightforward, showing an interest in the child, engaging them in some kind of conversation, reading to them, um, sharing stories with them, encouraging them to tell stories
2: back to you. Nothing formal, correct? You know, that's so right. And I, one of the things that happens is that children become involved in their own learning. They will mm-hmm. develop their own interests, and I love the stories that you told about the snake, and I was just thinking mm-hmm. of all of the learning that went in for your children before they went to school, just by yes. virtue of having a pet. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: absolutely, absolutely. And Although um, well, I don't we think of- I could have done it. <laughs> oh well, you see, you might have because you know you've got boys and 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 you want to be sort of a super cool mom. And so I went, okay, he loves snakes. I have to understand. I have to. I wanted to find out what made him tick and why he liked snakes. So I thought, well, maybe I could learn to like a snake. But unfortunately, I never did. And uh, Barbara, we've got to go on a short break uh, for about ninety seconds. So um, just hang in there, and I'll be right back in just a moment. Okay.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Attention parents and teachers. Here is a series of alarming yet true facts about the current state of teaching reading in the United States. The federal government has spent close to half a trillion dollars to improve reading ability, and yet we still have over 8 million students who cannot read on grade level. 440,000 students who have a total reading vocabulary of 50 words or less, and a national dropout rate of one new student every 26 seconds. Sadly, one of these could be yours. Fortunately, it's not too late to help. Introducing The Reading Show with Dr. Joe, a fast-paced, highly informative, easy to listen to show led by nationally recognized reading authority, Dr. Joe Lakovich. For more on Joe on the show, check out his website, FailureFreeOnline.com Listen in this week to learn amazingly simple ways to turn this problem around. The Reading Show with Dr. Joe. With your host Dr. Joe Lockovich. Fridays at 10 a.m. Central on TuggyNet.com Nightcap Radio, 10 p.m. to midnight with Christy and Laura on togynet.com. Broadcasting from their scrappy kitchen in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, they've got nothing better to do than riff with their favorite Brooklyn-based independent vendors, artists, bands, bartenders, foodies, weirdos, and news stories. Featuring the live studio audience, Betty Rehab and the Gay Boys. Sex and dating commentary with The Impersonal, The Unknown Political Masked Man, Ooh. and People Who Kinda Know Stuff. Alibi! Stream on after your long week. Brooklyn's Variety Show of Madcap Intellectualism. Friday Nightcap Radio with Lauren Christie. 10 to midnight Eastern on TalkingDead.com. Radio like you've never seen. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenney. the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Neck. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
1: So, Alison, some, uh, sorry, Barbara, Oh, it's lovely that you've got two, uh, two first names for your name. I'm sorry about that. Um, some parents might say that um, they're worried about teaching their child something incorrectly or the wrong way. What would you say to that parent?
2: You know, that's a common anxiety for parents. And I think that it's really too bad that parents have lost their confidence in being children's first teachers. Mm. The most important thing that parents can do is to encourage their children's own interest, you know, which you just have given us an example about with with having snakes. And I was thinking that for all the children who are so fascinated with dinosaurs, that it's maybe a good thing we can't have dinosaurs in the house.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's right. <gasps>
2: There's just so much that parents can do at home, and it doesn't have to be uh, sitting down with the children and having an in-home preschool, although I know that many parents do that. Parents can just piggyback learning onto what they're already doing, when mm-hmm. they're doing the dishes, talking about shapes, when they're doing the laundry, counting out the socks, um, when you're going on a bus trip, looking at all the different kinds of signs and numbers and letters that are going by. Those are things that parents can do incidentally with children that will add up to a tremendous amount of learning by the time children get to school. And parents don't have to put themselves into a role of being um, an early childhood educator. They can still be parents. Mm. Um, and your, um, your
1: book sort of gives different ideas uh, that you've just given a couple of, of really good ideas on how they can piggyback um, learning on, on what they're already doing.
2: And your book, it covers those kinds of um, ideas? It does for sure. And also, I have a daily blog on my website oh, okay. that covers lots of different kinds of learning ideas. It mm-hmm. wasn't until I was blogging earlier this spring, or last spring, pardon me, about all of the learning that can come from hockey, that I was really aware of what kinds of things that children can learn that I had never thought of before. Mm-hmm. One little one mom remarked to me that that's how her son learned numbers was from the numbers on hockey jerseys. Mm-hmm. That was a motivating factor for him, and that parent had, had picked up on what was happening and used hockey jerseys for learning about numbers Uh, numbers colors being a member of a team lots of different kinds of learning just from following the child's interests, and as a parent extending that a little further
1: Mm. so your book could probably give um homeschoolers some ideas on um, some activities that um, they may not, you know, because I, I I've met a lot of homeschoolers um, during my my time as a as a homeschooler, uh, who who say I have no idea how I can turn this into a learning moment. You know, they they just have fun, but they don't know how to kind of tap into the fact that oh, this would be really good to you know we could we could make a counting game out of this, or we could talk about water and how it flows over the hand, and we could you know sort of um, to, to get the sense is going and see how it feels on different parts of our bodies or how it reacts on different surfaces and um, so it sounds as though your book would help par- at least launch parents so that they feel more confident um, to come up with ideas themselves.
2: They probably don't realize how much they're already doing mm-hmm. and some of that will definitely come from practice but I think some one thing that also comes in my book is to give parents the confidence that other parents are doing this too. They're not the only parent in the world who's picking up a spoon and picking up a fork and having a conversation and a dialogue between the spoon and the fork. They're yeah. not the only parent that sings, this is the way we get dressed in the morning. Mm-hmm. It can be kind of intimidating to suddenly to suddenly think of how much learning can take place for a child and how much and how very important that learning can be every single day, how much it will add up. And so mm-hmm. that's one thing that I try and do in my book is give parents the confidence to imagine, to pretend, to explore, to discover with their children too.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so children who are at um Daycare centres who don't actually um, have the the luxury of having their mum at home with them all the time, mum can still do that kind of thing during evenings, early mornings, weekends. Correct. I mean, it's not lost because it's not all is not lost because they didn't get to spend all their time with their mum. They had to go to daycare.
2: Just getting dressed in the morning and putting on a T-shirt and noticing, oh, my goodness, this T-shirt has a pattern on it this morning. Did you see that there's a pattern? There's a blue stripe and a red stripe and a blue stripe and a red stripe. Blue, red, blue, red. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was a learning moment, and it happened just naturally while getting a child dressed. And I think
1: a lot of parents um, think, oh, I don't do anything with my child. And the fact that um, your book and you yourself um, are are sort of helping them to see that even if they think of it as just, you know, I'm just getting my child dressed in the morning and chatting to him or her, that is learning. I mean, the child is learning from that. This is how children learn how to talk, expand their vocabulary,
2: you know? If we put pennies in a piggy bank, what do you think we would put in a brain bank? We'd put in (laughs) words.
1: Lots of words.
2: Lots and lots of words. So think of words as being an enrichment for your child's brain bank. Mm. Talking with your child, oh, look at that shoe. That shoe is looking kind of sad this morning. It looks like it's feeling kind of bedraggled. Mm. Yeah, that was a deposit yeah. you made in your child's brain bank mm. 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 I, I, re-
1: I remember reading Beatrix Potter to my children and being amazed at the vocabulary in those books because you, you imagine well before I sat down and actually read them out loud to the children I thought they'd be easy little books to read and they're not <laughs> have you ever read them? they're Why very challenging have? they are they are but you know it gets the child loves these words especially if they can get there if they can say it if they can say a nice big word my daughter used to love being able to spell those big words she'd say well I might not be able to do that but I can spell legislature (laughs) so she'd (laughs) rattle it off you know and uh, it it was funny it was really funny but yes just challenge your child by by expanding their vocabulary The baby talk, I mean, what what do you say about baby talk using, using, you know, words that aren't currently, aren't aren't used, you know, sort of in a school
2: with your child? In some ways, parents will naturally match the level of the child in which... A mom is using much simpler vocabulary for her little ones than she would be using for her older children. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just have to remind ourselves to keep going up a level, too, for the for mm-hmm. the child. But that will happen, too. As, as a give and take, as a flow, a parent will be almost naturally able to go up one more level for the child. Mm -hmm. Did you know that even reading aloud to children who can already read is very beneficial? It's even beneficial for adults to have books read out loud to them. When my Mm -hmm. husband and I go on car trips, one of the things that we do before we leave the house is to find a book that I can read out loud. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be an excuse for me to stay awake in the car, but he also (laughs) finds that that's really beneficial for keeping him um, a little bit more relaxed on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also he finds that it it keeps his attention focused just to have somebody reading to him as we drive along
1: mm-hmm.
2: well that, that, that's a yeah that
1: 's a different skill isn 't it listening? My children were really good at listening to books they didn 't always listen to me, but they would listen to me reading out loud, and they had this huge amount of attention span you know I I could read for a couple of hours and they would be able to tell me everything that I'd read to them they were totally enthralled and I thought that's this amazing that they can just sit and listen to me you know
2: And you didn't deliberately set out and say, okay, I'm going to have a lesson plan right now Mm -hmm. for developing listening skills. We're going to do this activity and that activity, and then we will follow it up with this, and I will have a little evaluation. Mm -hmm. You naturally read to your children at a level where your children could listen and could take in information through listening. You used books that were challenging to help develop their receptive vocabulary, but you just naturally developed that listening skill that ability to take in information by reading stories and sharing books with your children
1: that's right that's right and and it was actually something that i really enjoyed doing so that was a good excuse for me was to pick up a book and uh read to them all and uh they thoroughly enjoyed me doing that um i just i i think that um what you say about be a child being prepared to come to kindergarten, you're not actually saying that the child needs to be a fluent reader and be able to write and recognize all of that. Just be prepared um, in a, in that they can learn, they're expected to learn, they, they can follow direction, they can, I don't know what else you would expect them to do, not, not necessarily sit absolutely quietly for an hour, but uh, I'm thinking kindergarteners are pretty active.
2: To be able to sit and listen to a story from beginning to end, certainly as long as as it's not too long a story, that's that's another way that children are prepared for kindergarten when they come to school. I really like the way that you summed all of that up, Vivian. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm,
1: mm mm-hmm. um, So let me talk just a little bit more about your um, daily blog. We can go on there. And I think your whole blog site is called 123 Kindergarten, isn't that correct?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. 123
2: Kindergarten.
1: Yeah, and link it with your name, um, Barbara Allison. And um, you will get to her website, and that will also automatically link you to her wonderful book, which will help all of you out there who are, who are teaching your own children, young children. And... Um, her blog. And so, Barbara, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time. I've really enjoyed my short time with you. It went very fast. Um, I've been chatting to Barbara Allison, who carries the memories of more than a thousand children's school beginnings in her heart, which I think is wonderful. And she sounds as though she's the kind of kindergarten teacher that all kindergartens will love. You get down there and you play with your children. Thank you so much, Barbara. And um, you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And I'm sure I'll speak to you again. Thank you so much, Vivian. Bye.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod, Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a 6-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonbinrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community, so tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod, Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central, on toginet.com. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian Mcnenny, The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian Mcnenny. Well,
1: my neighborly friend and hairdresser who lives upstairs is having some work done on her flat This in England can mean anything from decorating a simple coat of paint or putting up some wallpaper to knocking out walls and taking up carpets. She's doing it all. Her kitchen and two bathrooms are getting the total facelift. All the fixtures and fittings out, including wall tiles, commodes and cabinets, and new ones in there must be money in hair. Later, she's going to have new carpet and slate put down on her patio. And she reckons the whole process for the overhaul will take several months on and off. She had thoughtfully invited all of her surrounding neighbors. You see, she's a good community dweller um, who would be most affected by the noise in in for a sit and sip yes that neighbor then she put up a note on the lobby notice board alerting everyone to the imminent work for some of the fussier residents she promised that her workmen would only park in designated parking spaces and would always make sure the lobby doors were closed she apologized in advance for the noise and cheerfully added it would all be finished by may this is february she finished with the news that she 'd be moving out during this time, and the building manager and her mobile phone had her mobile phone number if anyone wanted to reach her well i don 't think that made a favorable impression on the rest of the occupants of thirty two Albemarle Road. It sounded as though she was off on a world cruise, suggesting that there was going to be more noise than even she could handle. In fact, she was moving into a friend's large house in Bromley for two weeks while the kitchen and bathrooms were being ripped out before coming home to her nice warm flat. She was in my kitchen cutting her hair during the first couple of hours of work, and every time there was a lull in the noise, we said, tea break. The constant pounding while tiles were being removed ended at about 3 p.m., and silence reigned. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate the quiet when there's been a lot of noise going on. Um, My blue-eyed cowboy and I joke that we can hear someone hanging a picture three flats over and two floors up in this building. But it's because it's so quiet, actually. There's There's no other kind of noise going on in the building at all. Any kind of mechanical noise in this peaceful part of suburbia can be heard for miles around. Are there any such things as silent drills and hammers, I wonder? But after the first day the complaints came flowing in. That's community living for you. Yes, it was noisy, but my sleep wasn't being ruined. I grew up in London and the sound of roadworks pneumatic drills just can't be beaten. My friend came back to the flats the very first evening bemoaning the fact that everyone had called and were grumbling. Quite honestly, they have a cheat because she had had to suffer through the flats upstairs and beneath her being redone before the new evening owners even moved in and she was quite distraught she'd had a run in with one of her neighbours who was so angry about the noise she was fit to be tied and I don't know what could they do, just move out they could move out for a couple of weeks, go stay with family or something They do a lot of complaining when their peace is disturbed here in this building, so much so that some of the residents use headphones when watching television in the evening. I think that's a bit extreme, don't you? I wouldn't do it. Perhaps flat dwelling isn't for them. Anyway, I'd rather hear drills and pounding than chainsaws any day. That sound goes straight through me. Today is the last day of the work and she's moving back into her flat and I can't wait for an invitation to go up and have a look, check out all her new stuff and this weekend it's half term we have our youngest nephew spending a night and a day with us my daughter has to stay near her school for classes and she may work a few additional shifts as a star barista so we get the company of an 8 year old instead we've all sorts of things planned, he's at the board stage and if Malia does come home he'll be delighted as will I and we'll either go to the British Museum where there are dinosaurs, the Rosetta Stone and mummies or the Imperial War museum a very boy place to go but strangely enough captivating for me and my daughter there's something for everyone there and wasn't that a very discriminatory observation for me to make War Museum just for boys my teacher daughter spent a few hours at Walmart and Kroger last week on an assignment for college she had to check for blatant examples of discrimination between girl and boy toys and other items how many of each etc and she looked in the film aisle the music the books and even cereal and lunchbox items it's amazing how certain things are geared for boys and others for girls when I was the mother of two boys and buying them clothes my gaze always drifted. Over to the little girl section of Target, where there seemed to be a much larger variety of lovely outfits to choose from than in the boys section. I told my daughter that perhaps it was because I was wanting a girl, but she disagreed. There are more choices of clothes for girls than for boys. Despite the attempt at creating gender-neutral environments for our children today, certain things are targeted to either the male or the female segment of the population. And women do most of the shopping, after all, I commented to my daughter. We laughed that when it came to dressing up and toys in our house when she was growing up, she and her siblings really didn't care that much until peer pressure kicked in. We remembered that Simon liked to wear earrings and look pretty like me, and Malia carried a car around with her when she was a toddler to be like her big brother. I'll be interested to hear my school teacher daughter's report. Anyway, I'm sure our one day of half term with an eight-year-old should be a no-brainer with a museum, a picnic, and a ride on a train, plus lots of cake, cake at home, cake and hot chocolate perhaps. My blue-eyed cowboy has been very patient with the National Health Pun intended. He hurt his shoulder a while back and caught his own shots. Worked for a little bit, but then back came the dull ache. It may have something to do with not being able to resist lifting heavy items and showing off his brute strength. But whatever it is, he gets twinges from twisting in an unexpectedly odd way. All the way to be being, being woken up at night with the pain. He started off by going to his local GP. That's a general practitioner in July who examined his shoulder and sent him for an x-ray to make sure it wasn't broken. My Texan could have told him it wasn't broken, but that's the rules. He returned for a consultation about the x-ray, showing no broken bones, three weeks later. The GP told him he probably would have to see a specialist, so promised to put him in the system, but in the meantime, sent him to a physical therapist, because that's the next step. Try all the simple stuff first. He did prescribe him pain medications, which knocked him out. The GP's job is to filter his patients and only refer those who have the determination, staying power, or real need to the specialist. The GP's office kept submitting incorrectly filled in paperwork and were very sweet about it when my husband called, saying they didn't know how the system worked either. And it was three months later before my poor blue-eyed cowboy finally toddled off to the physical therapist who examined his shoulder, said he didn't believe it was a torn rotator cuff, showed him some exercises, prescribed a regime to follow for three weeks, and told him to return then to his GP with a report on on whether he was better or not. He obeyed and went back to the general practitioner. It was no better, so the doctor agreed a specialist would be needed at last. But first he needed an ultrasound done on his shoulder to rule out a damaged rotator cuff. He prescribed him more painkillers. The appointment for the ultrasound came in, no making your own appointments here, and two weeks later, he was off to a hospital at the other end of the train line. And a month later, after numerous phone calls, he returned to his GP for a reading of the ultrasound. You see, the GP is right there all the time, back and forth, back and forth. You always have to go back to the GP. It's like, go back. Back to home base or pass, go every time, you know. Anyway, it's a convoluted system. Understand the staying power is the most important thing. Can we keep up with this? Keep going. The ultrasound showed no torn rotator cuff, which was a good thing, really, because they don't do rotator rotator cuff surgery on old people. That's what my handsome Texan was told anyway, at least not on the national health. Now came the moment we'd both been waiting for, a referral to the elusive but still very busy shoulder specialist. His letter came at the end of December for an appointment in May. Yep. May. By now, my cowboy was kicking up a bit of a quiet stink. He took matters into his own hands and called the specialist's office and got the appointment moved to January. His appointment with the specialist was swift. He referred him for an MRI, more plowing through the NHS computers. Three weeks later, he showed up for his appointment. It was noisy and close-fitting, but free. Well, not really. Nothing's free. Before leaving America, he had to pay a small fortune for his resident visa here. After the MRI, he got a letter re- calling him to the specialist so that he could be given the results. The GP is out of the picture now. Now we're dealing with the specialist. There was a damaged cartilage, a torn bursa, and bone impingement. No wonder he's in so much pain. How is he even functioning? The specialist said his surgery would be scheduled in two months. Uh Uh-oh. And told him not to use his shoulder. I asked, not to use your shoulder doing what specifically? Typing? Holding a fork? Heavy lifting, said my brave blue eyes. He already called to get himself on the cancellation list, but after going through all this, who'd cancel their appointment? Unless they hadn't survived the wait, which happens here. Finally, though, he feels as though he's on the home run after seven months. And my daughter got her iPhone. Amazon were very good and credited her account within two days of the claim. And she ordered her phone immediately and got it yesterday. She's so excited. She also had a really good day at school, too, being chosen to be in a couple of shows at the college. And she said to me, I couldn't believe getting cast would make me so happy. I told her I wouldn't be happy being cast. And she said, why not? I hate being on stage. I'd be happy if someone published my book. Bless her. She thought everyone would be overjoyed to be cast in a show. Another indication that performing is probably her dream. Well... It looks like I've come to the end of my time again. And I used to fret about running out of things to say. I've become a real chatterbox. I'm going to see a play tonight. Then we have half term and company over the weekend. I'll be here same time, same place next week with a special Valentine show for you. So tune in. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, My guest, Barbara Allison, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, and many others who are a part of my growing audience. Don't forget to listen to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck live on Tuesdays at 4 and Sandy Fowler of Heartfield Holidays right here on Mondays. And Ali LaPreet at the other end of today, so you can just keep toking it tuned in on your computer all day long. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. doop. Have a great weekend.
0: Thank you for joining us for the sociable homeschooler with Vivian McNenney on.